Good morning, every nation. So good to be in the house of God this morning. I just need to say, when we planned to pray for France, we did not know how the outcome of the games would be like yesterday. I know a lot of you are thinking, maybe we should be praying for Argentina or Portugal. I completely understand. We just planned way before the World Cup happened. So uh, we will be praying for Argentina after the service. If you are a member of, uh, a fan of Lionel Messi, we will have an altar call for you right over the side. All right. Good to be in the house of God. Um, my joy, my pleasure, my honor to welcome someone who doesn't need an introduction in this house, uh, Pastor Carol Gosman. As you come up, I need to, let's, yeah, let's give her a round of applause. Proper, proper, proper. Great. I know that there are some faces who may not know Pastor Carol, so I need to explain who she is. She's one of the elders, together with Andrew Gosman, her husband, here in Every Nation, Johannesburg. And they've been part of this church right from the beginning. Over, 20, over 30 years ago, they were part of this church. They moved to Namibia, planted a church, and came back, served here in Rosebank as a discipleship pastor, led the 1015 service, which was 1030 then, led the prophetic ministry. They have three children who their brains I cannot comprehend. Uh, their son, um, David, is uh, studying PhD in physics. And their daughter, uh, Carrie, she's an actuary working for PwC. And their youngest, Joshua, is studying engineering. And um, whenever you, you come around Carol, you realize that the IQ level goes up. Let's, again, welcome Carol. God bless awesome. you, Carol. Thank you, Sly. Oh, gosh, I love being here. So what a great church you are. Thank you, Sly and Lindy. I just feel so at home. And just, uh, this is where my roots are. It's, good. it's a good place. It's a good place. You're a good congregation. I feel the love and glory of God all over you. The Lord, I just pray that as we share around the word today that your the knowledge of you would permeate our hearts lord god i just pray that that today wouldn't just be words it would be an encounter with you i pray that you would help us to see like we've never seen before that you would help us to understand your kingdom in ways we haven't done it before lord god would you empower us to be more effective in our christianity would you empower us to be more effective as your children lord god father god we ask this in jesus name Amen and amen. So we are talking about the book of Genesis. And if you will remember, you've had Pastor Roger talking about in his image. You had Pastor Sai talking about in the garden, in his garden, in the garden, which was all about intimacy with God. And today we, were, we are going to be talking about in his mandate because, because God takes it. As, as he puts his, his image in us, he... He draws us into that place of intimacy, but at the same time, he's given us something to do. There's a significance to your life. There's a significance to all of our lives that just really, really, if it's not expressed in this world, this world is deficient. And, and today my hope is that every one of you would taste something of what you call to and you would never look back. Amen. Simon um, did say that my youngest son was an engineer. Well, he's studying engineering. Actually, he's finished. He's qualified. But he actually specialized in game design. And from a very young age, he's been making up games. The rules were often a bit obscure, and it meant that no one ever won the games but him. It's still like that. He wins every game he plays. 
but he, he used to make Lego toys. And when he made Lego toys, they always were fantastic. And, and one day, wanting to be a good mom, I sat down with him and I said, I'll play Legos with you. He handed me this creation. He said, you have this one, mom. And he usually made like fighter jets, you know, and things that flew and um, bombed things as boys do. And... And so he handed me this thing, so I immediately just picked it up and was started flying it through the air and making bombing noises. I think those are the right noises. And um, he looked at me and he said, no, mom, that doesn't fly. That goes on the ground like this and does this and this and this. And so it turned out to be something totally different. And, um, you know, I wanted to argue, but then I realized he made this. He knows how it's supposed to work. I must submit to him in this. And to a certain degree, not to a certain degree, to the full degree, this kind of describes God in us. He made this world. He made you. He knows how you work. He knows what you're meant for. And when it comes to working out your destiny, your calling, don't argue. Just say, yes, Lord. Amen. Amen. So we are going to be looking at... Genesis 1, 26 to 28, you can look in your Bibles or you can read along with me. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Take that, spiders. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I like that dominion over the fish of the sea because I'm not really fond of eating fish and a little while ago, we had fish for supper. Um, I had organized, I hadn't made it. I'm a really great delegator. We had supper, and there was fish on my plate. And I, I looked at it and I said, I command you in Jesus' name to be caramel ice cream. It stayed fish. So I realized this dominion over the fish of the sea is a little bit different from what I, I had imagined. But nonetheless, let's begin to talk about it. There's a, there's a phrase in there that really kind of epitomizes the whole passage. It says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Classically, this is known as the dominion mandate. And this is the job description that God came and gave to Adam and Eve. He gave to mankind. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. I'd like to take a little time to just kind of break that down a bit, and we're going to start with be fruitful and multiply. This is not the only time this phrase is used in the Bible. Earlier in the chapter, in verse 22, it says, and God blessed the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. So clearly, when God said to mankind, be fruitful and multiply, As he'd used this phrase before, we let the Bible define the Bible. Literally what he was saying is go out and make babies. So of course we know in the kingdom of God that you first have to go and find a husband and wife, that God loves family. But, But basically he's saying do the normal human things. Go out, make families, build, have children, live. Are you all happy now? 
God, God loves everyday human life. He's, you know, he loves human beings so much. Ordinary, everyday human beings, he made seven billion of them. You know, it's just like, it's just like he can't stop making people because it thrills him so much. But of course, yeah, so there you go, make, go make babies. Find a husband and wife, go make babies. You, it's it's Jesus', Jesus command to you. So in the Old Testament, really, that's, that's kind of what it meant. It's very simple. There's no, there's no deep theological meaning to it. Be fruitful and multiply. Go out, find a wife, have families, fill the earth. In the New Testament, Jesus kind of makes it a little, he takes it a little bit further. And he, he kind of defines fruitfulness a bit differently. It's not just about having children. In John 15, verse 5, he says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And what he's describing, he's, he's describing that, that intimacy that you heard about two weeks ago, that, that place from which mankind is meant to live, that, that closeness to God, where God is speaking into your soul, God is defining you, God is bringing life to you. That intimacy is meant to produce the character of God in your life. It's meant to produce the habits of God in your life. It's meant to produce fruitfulness, energy, life. It's meant to make you productive. And the interesting thing is that a, a branch doesn't sit around trying very hard to bear fruit. Have you? Well, I don't know if you've ever spoken to a branch, but if you have, come speak to me. We'll pray for you. But, you know, I imagine a branch isn't trying to bear fruit. It's just as it remains in the tree, in the, in the vine, as it's part of the actual plant, the natural outworking is fruitfulness. In addition, this fruitfulness, not only are we meant to display the nature and the glory and the character of God to our environments, we also mean to spread the knowledge of Jesus Christ in our environments. And part of that fruitfulness is that your neighbor would know the good news that you carry. That your families would know about Jesus. That the people around you would understand that your, work, your workplace would be filled with the knowledge of God. We all know the great commission that Jesus gave us, Matthew 28, verse 19. But really what this is, is Jesus reiterating that dominion mandate from Genesis and, and putting it into kind of New Testament words. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. If I wanted to define discipleship for you, I would, I would give it this kind of framework, that discipleship is life-on-life -life transmission of foundational beliefs and practices, habits and mission from believers to non-believers, seekers, and young Christians. I was sitting at Cape Town Airport recently, and my plane, I'd gotten there a little bit early, and I, so I had some time to spare. I was sitting in the mug and bean, and the waiter there kind of walked past me, took the menu, slapped it down on my table and said, there's the menu in this voice. You know, clearly he wasn't looking for a tip. He had just grumpiness all over him. 
Andrew, my husband, has this thing. If he ever meets a grumpy person, he makes it his personal ambition to get that person to smile. It's like, uh, this, this is now my task. And so I'm sitting there and I think, let me be Andrew. I wasn't feeling like being Andrew, you know. I felt like giving grumpiness back. But I thought, fruitfulness, Jesus in me, I'm going to do this better. So I start... Um, having a conversation with him. We start building up a rapport to the point where when I uh, order my Saturday, he said, that's not, that's not a meal fit for a human being. You know, he wanted me to have a steak or something. So we, we start, to, and he, he starts smiling, and he starts relaxing. And as I'm, I'm sitting there, this thought comes to my mind. This man is far away from God, and God is pursuing him. You know what, really, it wasn't... I want to explain this to you, because people tell you about these prophetic moments and they make it seem like it was, you know, the sky opened, there was a drum roll, an angel arrived, lightning flashed, I heard this audible voice. Mostly it's not like that. Mostly it's just in your heart, you feel something and it seems like it could be true. So while he was standing there, I thought I would test it out and I said, you know, I was just thinking, I feel like you're further from the Lord than you want to be, but God, God is pursuing you. I'm not joking. He stood there. It's like he, he wasn't a white man, but at that moment he looked white. You know, he went, Psh! and he said, you will never guess what happened. Oh, my word, a little while ago I was driving my car, and I had a car crash, and the car was completely written off, and I came out without a scratch. It's like God was there. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, God's pursuing you. He says, and you know what? Recently, I was mugged and my wallet was stolen and they stabbed me in my back and the knife went into my um, kidneys. I feel like it's going downhill now, but I'm listening. The knife went to my kidneys. I went to the hospital and you know what? These guys came around and they prayed for me. And then when the doctors were there, they felt like they had to remove my kidneys. When they came and did the final test, they said, there's nothing wrong with your kidney. We can't understand it. I know. Give the Lord a hand. It's... So now I'm getting confident. You know, I see God is really pursuing this man. And so I, I start saying, well, you know, that's really God. And, and I start sharing with him how he can be free from the bondage that he's in. He can be free from the brokenness he feels because there is a God who stepped out of heaven and um, died and rose again for him. That sin has been taken care of. I didn't use these exact words. I can't remember them. But something along those lines that there is a God who loves him. There's a God who's reaching out for him. That There's a God who's chosen him. And we were talking, and he was like, I could tell he was really interested, but I'm convinced of this, completely convinced of it, that no one makes it as a Christian unless they are grafted in to a believing community, the church. And so I knew that I was leaving Cape Town, and I was going to leave him in Cape Town. If I didn't get him hooked up with the church, no matter how great my evangelistic moment with him was, he probably wasn't going to make it. So I said this to him, you know, I think you should really get hooked up with the church. Again, he said, oh my word. It was like, you know, every word that came out of my mouth, he thought it was, you know, an angel speaking. I was like, it was a very gratifying experience. <laughs> and he he said, you know, just this morning, just this morning, I was thinking I should find a church. 
you know, when, you, when you're with Jesus, it's like he's prepared the way. <laughs> but this is what he said to me that was so great. And I feel, I feel like it's, it's indicative of God's kingdom in action. He said this to me, but I don't want to go to any church. I want to go to a church like you come from. I want to go to your church. Why? Because, because in me, he saw God reaching out for him. He saw a God that saw him. He saw a God that noticed what he was going through. And he was saying, I want to be a part of a community like that, that knows me, that where I count. And you know, time and time I have this happen to me that, that when I try to get people hooked up from, with the church, they say, no, 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 we want to be in your church. Where do you go? Because what we see on you is what we want because they see a God reaching out. And really, this is when, when Jesus talked about us making disciples, he was talking about this. This dominion mandate is us bringing the will and way and the truth and the revelation of Jesus Christ to every person. So this goes on and it says, fill the earth. Now you'd think fill the earth would be about making babies, but it's not really. Genesis Genesis 1, that chapter that we're reading, is not a scientific rendition of how our material world came into existence. It is the story of how God created the universe for man so that his glory could be known. I don't know if you know this, but really reading Genesis as a scientific document will just lead you into a tangle and a mental anguish that you don't want. When it was written, probably by Moses, it was written, believe it or not, in the format of God building a temple for his presence to reside. So all the account of creation is, is God putting in everything into position so that he could bring forth mankind, so that he could create a place where his presence would dwell and his glory would be known. And the ancients reading this would have recognized the pattern and they would have understood that Genesis is about God building a temple for his presence. God building a people who would become his temple on this earth. God building a creation that would reflect his glory back to him and that would be an example and a place where his presence and his glory would be seen. This word... Full is a very interesting word. There it is in Hebrew. And there is the, the way you pronounce it in English, male. And what I always um, marvel at when they try and tell you how to pronounce it, they make it so darn confusing that I'm just like more confused by all those brackets and commas and lines than I ever was by the original Hebrew. So you take a guess at how you're supposed to pronounce that. All good, anything, anything goes. But that's the word that's full. And it, it literally means to be full, to full. But here it goes, to consecrate as a priest or devote. And here's another place where it's used. In Exodus 40, verse 34, it says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When God told us to go and fill the earth, he was saying something very profound. He's saying, I want you to carry my presence into every part of creation. I want you to build and work and live in such a way that your lives create a place for my glory to be seen. 
that you in fact become the temples of my presence, that my presence and my glory is known to all creation through you. Go, into, go to the ends of the earth and bring my glory. Go to the ends of the earth and reveal my presence. Cause all of creation to bow to me and sing praises to the God of heaven. So he told us to fill the earth. He goes on and he says, fill the earth and subdue it. I'm going to give you another Hebrew lesson. Are you ready? But subdue it, there it is. I think that's kabas. And it means subdue, overcome, or enslave. I don't know how you feel about those words, but those are strong words. Subdue, overcome, enslave. What interests me is that we are told to subdue all of creation. What is missing from there is it never says subdue mankind. This kind of subdue, overcome, enslave is not meant to be about man dominating other people, about one people group dominating another. In fact, what is interesting to me is that the kingdom of God, there's a concept called power difference that operates in cultures, and it means how much you will tolerate a difference in hierarchy between one person and another person. So some cultures have a large power distance. They have some people who are very revered and some people who are not so revered, and they will tolerate that. The kingdom of God is an absolutely flat power distance. Like, like in the kingdom of God, everyone stands the same before his maker or her maker. Everyone, we are arm in arm, an army moving forward, a company of equals, equal in value, standing side by side, demonstrating the glory of God to the world around us. God never meant one man or one woman to dominate another. He meant that each of us would reflect our unique, through our unique personalities, his glory, and, and the, the next person would reflect it in a slightly different way, and together, mankind would show creation, would show all who God is. But on the other hand, God meant us to subdue creation. I have a tiny little sausage dog. Her name is Cinnamon. She's brown, squeaky, and just loves to sit on laps. I mean, seriously, if she barks at you, you laugh because you know there's no, there's no danger there. But I don't know if you know this, but all dogs, genetically speaking, come from wolves. Did you know that? that mankind started just breeding wolves and every dog type came from that. They're all genetically identical to wolves, believe it or not. But here's the thing, is that when God created a wolf, he hid inside that wolf every single dog species in the genetics of that wolf. And he said to mankind, go out and discover my glory. And we got sausage dogs. Jokes aside, is that in all of creation, God created the raw material 
for greatness, for glory, for majesty. And he said to mankind, go out and discover it, subdue it, cause all of creation to be conformed to the the love and the life that I meant to be here. Um, Find find bacteria that produce penicillin or molds that produce penicillin and, and destroy disease. Create businesses that provide jobs and and cause productivity to happen. Take the raw materials of that grass you see there, breed it and make wheat and feed the world. We were meant to take all of creation and subdue it to the will of God. Make it produce life and love and goodness. Paul spoke about himself. He said this, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself may not be disqualified for the prize. It's not any nature that we subdue. We subdue our own wills. We tell our bodies, we tell our minds, love God. When things inside of you want to go another way and just live in a life of discord and pleasure, uncontrolled pleasure, we say to ourselves, no. Because God has given us a mandate. All of creation must bow and reveal his glory and his will and his values and his truth. And that includes me. I'd like to introduce you to a man. His name is Dr. Francis Collins. And he headed up the team that decoded the human genome. Does the word genome mean anything to you? Some of you are nodding and some of you are saying, what is she talking about? Is this another Hebrew word? (laughs) Basically what they did is unraveled all the human chromosomes and genes and worked out every base, the code. (laughs) I did genetics at university and I'm struggling to find normal words. I can only hear my lecturer speaking to me right now. But what they basically worked out is is how human beings are made at the very basic level. From there, they've been able to develop cures or, or at least ways of treating severe genetic disorders. In addition, this man went ahead and he, he formulated a system by which Human genetics could be done in an ethical way. So in other words, now, if they take your your genetic material and they decode it and they work with it, they can't sell it to anyone without your permission. Because before, there were no rules. So there could be, you know, little carols running around that they've cloned without my knowledge. Gosh, heaven forbid, I've just had enough time controlling this one. I can't imagine what we'd do with five or six. But he said this, he said, I have found there is a wonderful harmony in the complementary truths of science and faith. The God of the Bible is also the God of the genome. God can be found in the cathedral or in the laboratory. By investigating God's majestic and awesome creation, science can actually be a means of worship. What's he done? He took that dominion mandate seriously. He went out and he subdued the earth. 
He said, how can I take my learning, my wisdom, my skills, my ability, and in this place, cause the things that I'm working with to reflect God's values and his truth? How can I use it to bring good for all mankind into existence? How can I use it to further the mission of God on earth? Our vision statement is this. We see lives, communities, and society transformed through discipleship in the word, the presence, and the power of God. We really see it. We really see it. One of the reasons that, that we walk with you is that we understand that you're created in the image of God and that God has called you for a great work. God is releasing you into your workplace, into your family to reveal the glory and the nature of God, to bring his will and way into everything. He is releasing you to reach out to your neighbors, to walk with them in the same way as we have walked with you so that all of creation will bow and say, Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Amen and amen.